Welcome to the Walk a Mile My Shoes podcast. I'm your host, Chris Young, and in this episode, I'll be speaking with Marina Cantacuzino, an award-winning journalist who, in 2003, in response to the imminent invasion of Iraq, embarked on a personal project collecting stories from people who had lived through violence, tragedy, or injustice, and sought forgiveness rather than revenge. In 2004, she founded the Forgiveness Project, a charitable organisation that uses real personal narratives to explore how ideas around forgiveness, reconciliation and conflict resolution can be used to impact positively on people's lives. In 2012, Marina spoke at the UN General Assembly about the work of the Forgiveness Project and in 2015, she was awarded an honorary fellowship by the Dalai Lama Centre for Compassion. I'll leave links to her books, podcast and website in the blurb. Remember, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe, comment, rate and review. That way we can get more people involved in the conversation. Hi Marina, welcome to the Walking Mile in My Shoes podcast. Oh, it's great to be here, Chris. Oh, it's, it's re- I, re- I really appreciate you're really busy and I, I'm, I'm really grateful that you've, uh, you've, you've given me some, some time to, for a conversation. So... Let's get straight into it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about. Let's go back to 2003. Um, what 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 motivated you to start the the, the forgiveness project? Um, so I had worked as a freelance journalist for many years. I was the main breadwinner of my family, married with three children, and I thought my life would always be journalism. But um, the Iraq war happened, basically. That's what did it for me. And I went on the march in early 2003 in Hyde Park, which saw a million people coming out to protest against what Tony Blair wanted to do, to um, invade Iraq. And, you know, it politicised me in a way, that particular conflict. So I went on the march. I felt my voice wasn't heard. I thought, as a freelance journalist, what could I do? And I had a small voice. Right. Um, I wasn't famous or anything, but I had a platform. And right. so I had a platform. So I was doing lots of traveling at the time with a friend who was a photographer. We were working for Oxfam and Red Cross and things. And I said, let's just find stories that are a counter narrative, if you like, to this bellicose language of revenge and tip for tact and payback. And so that's what we did. We started collecting stories about compassion and empathy and restorative justice, victims who had been truly hurt through atrocity, but who somehow had found it in themselves not to seek revenge. And we also saw stories of former perpetrators who had transformed their aggression into a force right. of peace. So, so you're that's saying that's how it started. Yeah. Collecting these stories. So, so you're saying that the 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 war in Iraq was purely built on vengeance. Um, I felt the language at that time, <clears throat> uh, spoken by the politicians, yes. and repeated in the media, was all about uh, coming down hard on people. Yeah, yeah. I was just convinced when you don't agree with them. I was just convinced the harder you come down on people if you don't agree with them, the more they will regroup. Um, in a in a more resistant and angry way. Sure, I just thought it was sure. not an effective way of dealing no, with something no, I didn't no. like. And then I got interested in this whole thing of nonviolence and on how people 
could respond to pain and atrocity through peaceful solutions. Yes. I also, as a journalist, knew that stories was a vehicle. Stories were very powerful. They're what stick with people. Facts fade. Right, right. Real personal um, testimonies from individuals who've been there and felt it and done it were very effective. Yeah, yeah. So I felt I wanted to use these stories in a way that could put a message across that we don't always have to seek retaliation and revenge. And so forgiveness became the prism, became the focus, it became the lens um, for exploring this, these peaceful solutions to conflict. So you weren't telling stories about people, you were allowing them to have their first-person narratives to, yeah, to tell their stories. I did. And I, even at that stage, I had no idea that it would lead to starting a charity called The Forgiveness Project. It was yeah. just, I thought it might be a one-off newspaper article or a magazine article, but then I was lucky to meet Anita Roddick, founder of The, of, um, the Body Shop. Right, great. And a social activist, and she funded it as an exhibition. She oh, said, this is very, these stories are so strong. She yes. said, you need to get them seen and you need to be in a room and offer, you know, in a gallery space where people can just go and absorb them. And that's what she did. She funded the exhibition, which we called the F word exhibition. Right. By now I knew what a contentious subject forgiveness was, that people loved it or hated it, were inspired or affronted by it. Um, and it was on the back of the success of this exhibition, which launched at the Oxo Gallery in London in 2004, right, right now, right. that I started the Forgiveness Project, because it was enormously, overwhelmingly successful in a way that I had never anticipated. So you the feel interest was <clears throat> phenomenal. The world had an time. appetite for it. Um, it's, it really did. And I think then, particularly, it was felt quite new. Yeah, many yeah. people haven't heard of restorative justice. No, no. I mean, many still haven't, but I think it's a much more common, commonly known, talked about, researched, written about concept. This idea of the victim and perpetrator meeting in order to to restore the damage done and to become members of society again. And but um, I think forgiveness wasn't so discussed then. So uh, yeah, my life completely taken over in a way that I hadn't planned or anticipated. No, no. Running a charity that came on to work in schools and prisons, uh, put on exhibitions. I've written a couple of books. I have my own podcast called the F Word Podcast. Yes, yes. And it's all around everything at the base of it, Chris, is story and storytelling. So it grew arms and legs. It did it did it grow in a way that that you expected? I mean were people forgiving things that you thought, nah, surely they couldn't. Well, the focus was always on um, quite extreme stories. Right. And by that, I mean, a very, a very, yes, very, very surprising circumstances. So it, quite a lot of political stories from conflict zones yes. or, or previously from the Second World War, you know, for instance, Eva Kaur, who had been a victim of the Nazis in Auschwitz and came over decades, it has to be said, to forgive not only her own captors, but all Nazis. Yeah, became yeah. quite controversial because of it. Yes. So there were big stories like that. Stories of people who've been abused as children, 
um, one or two stories about divorce and the, and the smaller everyday pains and hurts that we all suffer from. But overall, I've avoided doing too much of that for the simple reason that um, it becomes more problematic when people are talking about a situation where the other side can't speak. Right. <clears throat> so I've tried to have stories that are out there in the public domain, but to go at them at a different angle sometimes, to really go into what was the process that um, enabled you to reconcile with your pain or restore the relationship. So the forgiveness you're talking about doesn't just exist in a person's head, it exists in the relationship you're, you're talking about. Can do, about. but it also right. can... I wouldn't say the head, I'd say more the heart. Right, that right. Can start, start in the head, yes. drop to the heart. Yes. Um, it comes in many forms. I'm always asking people what do they mean by forgiveness. Yeah. And it's fascinating because no one has the same definition and everybody has different parameters and limits. Yeah. And it's always a topic worthy of discussion. And it's really important to say not, not everyone in the Forgiveness Project who shares their story <clears throat> with us has forgiven. But I would say because I didn't want it. The last thing I wanted it to be was a place where people would look and it was sort of like selling or promoting or pushing um, forgiveness as a way to heal all ills. Yes, I thought that was yes. deeply unhelpful. Yeah. But forgiveness can be a truly transformative um, way to um, reconcile with pain. I think you're right. I think to deal with past hurts. If you pre preach to people, they'll... They'll pull away. If perhaps. you preach to people, they will. <clears throat> also, I don't. You know, I didn't actually believe that. I don't think no. it's always the way. It's always a panacea for all ills. So, um, I felt it was really important to display it in all its gritty, messy, sure, sure. fascinating. Um, you know, just different ways that people have experienced forgiveness and different ways that they articulate it. And, and some people will say. I don't forgive, but the most important thing is they don't want revenge right? and right. they don't hate. So what's that? Is that compassion? Is it empathy? Where does forgiveness fit in? Others would say that is the most forgiving person I've ever met. Right. They'll say, right. no, I don't forgive because yeah. they don't like the word. So it's so complex and so nuanced. And I wanted to reflect that in the work that I was doing. Yeah, I mean, that was going to be one of my questions. What is forgiveness? I mean, I suppose it, it, it just covers a, a, a very broad church, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's so many definitions of forgiveness. You could just see it as um, giving up your right for revenge. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can see it. Um, for some, it's about reconciliation. For others, it, it requires remorse and right. and um, accountability. You cannot forgive if you... They would feel they couldn't forgive unless they received that kind of remorse and apology. Right. For others, it's got absolutely nothing to do with the other person. Yes. If you wait for the other person to show remorse, they may be dead, they may be incapable, yeah, yeah. and you'll be waiting forever and you're still bound to them and tied to them. Therefore, it's an unconditional act. Um, I tend to use a very sort of broad um, statement, really, that forgiveness is giving up all hope of a better past right and also forgiving is making peace with things you cannot change right right um those are so broad though that they don't encapsulate really what it is and we all have because it's relational yes. i think it's relational yes. even yes. if the other person isn't there yes um it's not as different to compassion and empathy 
uh, but it includes compassion and empathy. I mean, those are um, human superpowers, though, aren't they? Compassion yeah. and empathy. Yeah, that's why we've got this huge frontal cortex. It's so we can communicate and love and show compassion to each other, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And forgiveness fits in there. But it's not for everybody. And there are times sure, when it's sure. unhelpful. There's a dark side of everything. There's a dark side of empathy. There's a dark side <clears throat> yeah, of forgiveness. Yeah, yeah, um, And there's research being set, um, done to show that... Um, People who forgive their abusive partners tend to stay with their abusive partners, right, and therefore, right. yeah. um, the abuse continues. It's unhelpful. Right, right. That's interesting. Uh, one of the things I read uh, about what you've said is, is that the, the, these first-person narratives they help with both your physical and your mental health. It's it's a sort of quite a holistic approach to I don't know moving forward. I guess. Yeah, well, there's been a lot of um, research, scientific research done on the health benefits of forgiving, which I'm sure are tied into all the research into stress, yeah. anxiety. Because when we're fixated on, um, or when, let me put it this way, when we've been deeply hurt, no matter what it is in a relationship or, you know, your child's murdered, you become totally fixated on what has happened and you can't stop sure, ruminating sure. about it. You go to sleep at night thinking it's about there. it. You wake up in the morning yes. thinking about it. It's there. You talk to everyone about it if you can because that alleviates it for a time, but it sticks. And that has a health deficit. Of course, of course. Um, of course. So what happens when you're able to forgive? And people have spoken about this as a sense of almost feeling guilty about it. One mother of a murdered child said to me, I almost... When I came to a point of forgiveness, I almost felt guilty because I was no longer thinking about my daughter so much. Wow. But the, you know, the positive side of that, of course, is that she was able to function more as a human being in yes. society and yeah. in the world again. Yeah, yeah. And her whole life wasn't completely taken over by the trauma and the, and the pain. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that came through forgiveness, because she ceased to see the man who killed her daughter as a monster. He was a human being who had done something truly terrible. So, yeah, I heard you uh, talking about humanising um, extremists in, in, a, in a podcast and, uh, and how that helps people to perhaps move on. Yeah, I mean, I think there's um, a danger of calling people monsters and um, seeing them as different to us. Sure. I think, well, my own personal belief is that most of us are, almost all of us are capable of doing almost anything. Right. With the right circumstances. If you think your children are threatened, yes. you would do almost anything. If you have no sense of belonging, if you're alienated, you might believe almost anything. I mean, I think we can see it all around us, whether you look at conspiracy theories or um, extremist groups, um, a, a degree of vulnerability and you can be sucked in. So I think we need to humanise violence. That doesn't mean um, you condone it yes. or understand, but you seek to understand it. There's yes. great power in understanding. Yes. You, when you first wrote the book, the, the title of the Forgiveness Project was, uh, the subtitle was Stories for a Vengeful, vengeful Age. Yeah. Are we still in a vengeful age? Yeah, I think we are, definitely. <laughs> very vengeful. And, very and more divided than ever, of course, as many have said. More yeah. polarised. 
But I also think, um, you know, there's a lot of interesting debates out there. There's, um, there's hope, there's great hope and networks yeah. building up all the time to create a better society and a more peaceful society. Yeah. And, you know, I think the Forgiveness Project is a tiny part of a much, much bigger movement. I was delighted to hear that you, you did some work with the UN. I mean, so it's, it, you know, it's, it's spread. It's, you know, people are taking on board these ideas. Yeah, we've had involvement with the UN through a film called Beyond Right and Wrong, and also, um, which was, uh, it wasn't our film, but we were involved in it, but it's shot in various conflict post-conflict societies around the world. And also with the EU, there was an event to mark, um, commemorate the end, 100 years since the end of the First World War. And they were doing a project on memory. Right. And uh, and the exhibition, the effluent was taken to Brussels and shown, um, shown there to certain sort of dignitaries and leaders and yeah, I mean, it's always, I remember the person who gave the introduction said he strongly didn't believe in forgiveness. It was quite funny, you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't believe but in any of this. then I went on afterwards and said, well, that's absolutely fine, actually. You know, we're not pushing or promoting it. We're sure. trying to explore it exactly. So your view is also incorporated within this. Although having said that, I don't have any vengeful stories. I think that would be counterproductive. And there's so many out there anyway. Yes, yeah. Um, it, it does feel like there's a, an awful... An awful lot of anger. I mean, just with the the recent kill kill the bill protests in in Bristol, it seems that when we we could be coming together more, it seems like we're yeah. we're diverging. Yeah. yeah, and I do I do agree with Brenny Brown, um, who's done a lot of work on vulnerability and and shame, and she's very clear that you know name calling just adds sort of poison to the water system that sure. we all must drink, sure. she says. And yes. I think that's a good way of putting it. I don't think it serves any purpose at all, actually. That's very Just graphic. creates more division and gives the opposition, if you like, ammunition to shoot you down. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, just, yeah, the language around it, th people describing it as thuggery and disorder and it's disgraceful. And yeah, language, it, exactly. It's, it's very important, isn't it? Very. Um, Appreciate we've we've we're, we've got only just a short period of time, so I'm really keen to to talk about the yeah. your, your, the other stuff that you're you're up to the the, the prison con uh, chronicles, for example. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, we've run um, a program called Restore yeah. in prisons for over ten years, and Restore is a you could call it a restorative intervention which includes um, ex-offenders and victims of crime who right. go in with, with our facilitators to share their stories. And then we encourage the prisoners uh, through a group process to share elements uh, of their, I would say their story, elements of their story, what they feel safe sharing. Right. And it's about looking at forgiveness and empathy and compassion and about helping people change the narrative of their lives and it's quite an intense process it's been very well researched and as a result of having run that program which is very successful we've um connected with a lot of people over the years so this is just a occasional um zoom event right, right. The public where we my colleague sandra barefoot who's run the program for a number of years 
interviews and has a conversation with, it might be a victim of crime, an ex-offender, or it might be someone who's worked within the prison system and tries to sort of dig deep and delve um, into the sort of um, beyond the surface yeah. of what is often talked about in the criminal justice system. We talk about empathy and love and compassion and forgiveness and where those, those um, concepts fit in. Um, and it's been, yeah, it's been very successful. Thank you for asking. It, it sounds like people are making themselves uh, vulnerable. They, and it, and making yourself vulnerable, in, especially, I imagine, in that environment, it isn't a very stereotypically male thing to do. Mm-hmm. It, You're absolutely right. I mean, we work with women as well, and, and the same could be said of women, but it's different. But absolutely, for males, it's connection and vulnerability is is not something that is easily sought. And I think what we do is we create a safe space and it all starts out with a um, someone who's a victim survivor sharing their story. Yeah, and that's yeah. what breaks the defences. Once they've heard that story, it's very different to their stories, but someone has gone there and been vulnerable themselves and someone they would never expect to walk through the prison gates. Right. And someone who may have forgiven, and if they haven't forgiven, they're talking from the heart about empathy and compassion and and treating everyone in that room as a human being, then something breaks, something shifts. And they share together, and actually most connections and most learning is done between the prisoners. Right, right. Facilitators are there to hold the conversation. Okay. I'm, I'm thinking about the, 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 the prison officers and uh, the, the prisoners. Do, do they, as a group, do they... I mean, I'm, I'm guessing there's barriers to break down there. To, yeah. To help them We've had, engage. Yeah, I mean, any prison officer who has witnessed, because um, often they're sitting in the room, uh, we've never, we might have one or two in the circle, but mostly we've done one separately for officers, but mostly it's, um, as I say, separated. But right, any right. prison officer sitting in the room who's there for security reasons has been moved and inspired and changed by the process. And I have heard people say, I actually heard one prison officer say to somebody, I didn't know you were human. And that's the hu- um, that's the humanizing side, isn't it? Yeah, it's- yeah, that's what happens. And there aren't, sometimes there aren't that much difference in their stories in I a bet. weird kind of way. I bet. Gosh, yeah, so that. much connection. See, when people are vulnerable, you're absolutely right, it's key. And when people share parts of their stories, um, it's impossible for connection not to be made, and common ground to be found. Yes, yes. I, I, I just think that sounds incredibly exciting. Um, I think there's there's yeah. a, a lot of future in that. And, and yeah. Are you are you expanding that throughout many prisons? Or are you? Well, it's hard on... at the moment, obviously. Yeah. It but... is hard, and funding is always an issue. Always an issue for us, and ticking boxes. You know, a lot of these interventions in prisons is about teaching people to do things, telling them how to do it, ticking boxing that they've done it. And that is not what we do. We create a creative and a restorative conversation. We help facilitate that, help people connect. And we shift mindsets and and help people have a change of heart. And it is so powerful. 
And yet, I'm sure you'll understand, it's a harder sell for the authorities who are looking for a certain way of running an intervention. Nevertheless, you know, we've been there for over 10 years. Right. I wouldn't say it's easy. No, it doesn't feel like you're sort of um, swimming upstream. Yeah. Um, Good way of putting it. The the F Word podcast... that must complement everything you're doing. Yeah, it was my way of um, really digging deeper with some of the storytellers. Yes. But I've always really wanted to do it. And lockdown provided the opportunity. I'd already done the interviews, actually. So I had wanted to do podcasts. But I hadn't realised how time-consuming they would be because <laughs> I do all the editing. I do everything yeah, else yeah, and train yeah. myself and all that. So it was taking me a long time. But I needed lockdown in order to do all the editing. Of course. Um, but yeah, I think they complement the written story on the website, the exhibitions. We've got a few short films. It's just, as you know, you do podcasts yourself. It's yeah. great to have time, isn't it? <clears throat> to have a conversation with one or two people. Is this and, a... you know, not be pressured by anything other than asking questions. And, it is a privilege know, to have these conversations, you know, the yeah. people I've spoken to, including yourself, it's, it's, it's a delight. You know, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially I in, agree. in lockdown times. Um, Absolutely. We, we, we're talking about, um, you know, forgiveness and, and you know, I, I'm just, how do we deal with things like Brexit? How do we deal with things like uh, the kill the bill. How do we deal with hatred on social media, where people are, are so quick to divide each other? Oh, I just don't think there are any easy answers. But I mean, all I can do is speak for myself. I do have a sort of rule um, that I don't attack or name call. Right. Um, but I do call people out on okay. things. Okay. Um, because I feel a great set, you know, anger in a way started the forgiveness project. I was so angry at the Iraq war. Yeah, yeah. And I still get really angry <laughs> uh, about things that I see as unjust, yes. and most others would as well. Um, yeah, I know that meeting anger with anger doesn't solve anything. So I seek to understand. And I do think, um, you know, even with the whole debate around the vaccine, vaccine at the moment yeah. that's an interesting one yes and i find there are some very certain people out there who say it's has you know if you don't have the vaccine you're a b c and d you know doing all sorts of damage to yourself and others yeah and i'm not say that i necessarily disagree with that but i think it's so too easy just to condemn and say they're wrong yeah you're not so like I, me you're stupid yeah, yeah you're not like me you're stupid you're this that and the yeah other. yeah so even with QAnon and things like that which i cannot get my head around no no um nevertheless there are people who have loving families and do great things who yes, joined it yes i mean that <laughs> so, was one of the most surprising things when i was walking around the edge of the uk i i, I was invited in to by a couple who were I, I would have described them as positively Marxist. And when I found yeah. out, they, they told me they, they voted for UKIP. And I remember thinking, yeah. gosh, th- this isn't my stereotypical UKIP yeah. person. They're, they're lovely. <laughs> you know? yeah. So just because some person differs from you on a, one certain aspect doesn't mean to say that you're going to clash on everything. 
exactly, exactly. But I do think, um, you know, I was just thinking as we were talking that sometimes there are sort of horrendous wounds that are unmendable, sure, unhealable. Sure, sure. Justice um, cannot be done for what has happened. I'm talking about sort of indigenous communities. Yes, yes. And actually, I do think that that's a place where forgiveness does have a place, have a role in a way. It can be, and this has been said to me by Aboriginal um, people in Australia, that healing will never happen. This um, elder said to me, healing can never take place. Right. All I've got is forgiveness to help me heal my heart. That's my only tool. And I, that really struck a, struck a chord with me because I thought it's very interesting where things can be repaired through apology or through justice or through accountability or acknowledgement, then they can be fixed because yeah, yeah. all those things are incredibly helpful in healing if you've been wounded and hurt. But if nothing else, none of those things can happen, then forgiveness is really the, um, an incredibly powerful tool to help people mend and repair and, and heal a broken heart yeah it's uh it's it's devastating what we've done to indigenous peoples throughout the, yeah. the ages and and, yeah. it, and it continues exactly you know we need, just need to think about the chagos islanders who've uh, lost their homes and yeah <laughs> because exactly of, because of uh <laughs> because of britain um you're... one other area was just to say yeah it's also very <coughs> excuse me, very um, personal, which I think is around Black Lives Matter and all yes, those, yes. that debate, that I remember after a shooting in a black church in Charleston a few years ago, a day or two after some family members of people who had been killed came out and publicly spoke about forgiveness. Wow. And it was very interesting, the response. Some people were very heartened and encouraged by this. And other people, particularly in the black community, were very afraid of their response. Right. They said, does black forgiveness simply go, simply um, condone yes. uh, white violence? Yeah, yeah. You see, it's very delicate, difficult subject. It's a tightrope. Um, with these big atrocities and these yeah, yeah. structural damages. And, and it's much easier to understand on a one-on-one -on -one basis where someone has hurt you and they acknowledge they've hurt you. Because again, um, some some battles, especially with um, between two people, you know, one person thinks they're right and the other person thinks they're right. Yes. I mean, if you say I forgive you, it becomes an act of aggression because <laughs> you feel that actually, you know, how, I'm the one who's. How, how dare forgiving. you forgive me? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I think I'm sure that rings a bell with a lot of people, yeah. <laughs> myself included. Um, <laughs> Just a, before you go, um, the graphic novel, that, that seems like a great idea. I, I haven't seen it or read it, but uh, can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, that was um, part of a series called um, Really Strange. So they'd already done Anxiety and Pain is Really Strange. Ah, right, right. Then they wanted to do Forgiveness is Really Strange. And it's a sort of easy way to, di to digest very complex um, ideas yeah. and so the one on forgiveness has very few words and lots of very clever images by uh, a young woman called Sophie Standing 
and it just uses some stories and some research and some science. I've written it with Dr. Massinor, who's a psychologist, and it's just a, you know, you can read it in half an hour, right? And you can actually get a lot of information about what forgiveness is, what it isn't, when it's damaging, when it's helpful, what's the research out there. Um, and actually, it took me almost longer to write than, you know, other very long things I've written. Yes. <laughs> because you have to cut and pare down it's and have so just the right words dense. and the right order. Yes. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, I think it serves a, a good purpose in the world for people who don't like lots of words. So it also, I mean, is it targeted towards young people? Um, um, or, or all people, actually. All but people. I think, yeah, I think young, for obvious reasons. And I think that's the images, exciting, yeah. Yeah, the images are really excellent. You have, always have to have someone who's very clever at that. You can get a concept and and give it a bit more. They're not just illustrating the words, they're yes. giving it more. They're telling you probably twice as much as the words. They're hearing what you say and, and yeah. Yeah, transforming that into something That's wonderful. Right. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so. That looks like another thing that I'm going to have to stick on my, my list of books to get. Um, is there anything you want to talk about that I haven't asked you about? Um, I think we've covered most areas, haven't we? I think we have. Even, I think we have. Yes. Um, I, I could quite happily kidnap you for the next two hours, but, uh, but, but there are laws and stuff like that. So, but, <laughs> Well, if, I mean, if there's anything else you want to ask me, do. Brilliant. No, no, I really appreciate you. I don't you. know if you've covered your question. Yeah, I really appreciate you giving me your, your time. That's, that's been really great. Thank you. It's yeah. been lovely talking to you. Really great. Yeah, thanks so much for, for coming on. Okay. All right. Thank Cheers. you, Chris. Bye for now. Huge thanks to Marina for coming onto the show. I could bang on relentlessly about how the idea of forgiveness played a huge part in me coming to terms with my own experience of childhood sexual abuse. I can say with great certainty, forgiveness is a journey with many forks in the road and a whole bunch of cul-de-sacs on the way. It certainly isn't a destination. Remember, if you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe, comment, rate and review. It really does leave me with a warm, fuzzy feeling inside. Till the next time, I've been Chris Young, and you've been rather fabulous. Walk a mile.